0: You're listening to Migado Radio. Migado Radio is a radio ministry of Migado Media. For more, visit our website at MigadoRadio.com. That's MigadoRadio.com. Welcome everybody, this is Paul Flynn with a Radio for the 1st of August 2023. Thank you all for tuning in. So we're going to be aiming for Tuesday, I think, every week. And hopefully, they're not necessarily going to be recorded on the date or even the number of the show. This is episode number 497. And uh, if you're ever looking through the cat... Catalog, there's not necessarily 497 good programs. There are. I don't know. This program's been going for quite a while now. And um for those who've been following for long enough, uh there's we are now back after a bit of a hiatus. And the program's gonna be quite stripped back. There's no not gonna be any live streaming anymore. There's not gonna be any videos on YouTube anymore, it's just too time consuming, and uh Plus, I'm not a big fan of what's happened to YouTube. People have asked me before and I think YouTube's almost turned into a another form of TikTok, just a kind of a distracting kind of a platform. Not against videos per se, but um I I find I prefer personally the podcast world, if you want to call it that, and the audio world, I think I always have. And um So, but I'm going to be focusing on that from now on. So, on today's program, getting straight into it, because we have a lot to cover today, is the need for uh, confessional creeds, confessions of faith, agreed standards for churches, things like this. Now, before I scare away anybody, what I want to explain is what is a creed. Creed comes from the word from basically means we I believe credo and and that's all it is it's a statement of what we believe you are stating openly what you believe it, it, it's not a, it's not enough just to say for a church to say that we believe the Bible yes that will be part of the creed and you should state that. Um, It will be in most good confessions of faith that you accept the Old and New Testaments as, as the Word of God. However, there are many groups who claim the same thing. So, every generation has to almost come to grips with the need of a public or knowable profession of faith. That the church, or those officers of the church, be that ruling elders... Ministers of of Word and Sacrament, or preachers, and deacons will subscribe to. Now, there are are other forms of church government, which I wouldn't be able to speak to as clearly as maybe some others would, but I'll I'll be speaking from a point of view of plurality of elders, Presbyterian church government, uh, basically what I believe is biblical church government. By the way, unless people are agreed on how the church is governed, a church really can't really go forward together. If 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 everybody believes different things, it's it's gonna be pretty ugly or mob rule or something like that. That would be or what you believe about church government is going to be in a creed. Now I subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. I have held to the doctrines in the Westminster Confession of Faith since about, is it about 2015, when before then I was a 1689 Baptist, and some of you listening might remember when I was a uh, quote-unquote Reformed Baptist, or a particular Baptist, or whatever the term you would prefer to use for the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. So why do we have... But regardless of the creed you have, whether you're a 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, whether you're Westminster Confession of Faith, or Savoy Declaration, or Belgian Confession, uh, of our friends who are being more continental Dutch Reformed churches... That would subscribe to the three forms of unity, such as the the, the Synods of Dort or the Canons of Dort and Heidelberg Catechism, things like that. What is why the necessity? Why do we need that? Can't we just say, Well, I'm reformed or whatever else? Well, hopefully, in this program, we'll go through why we need why confessions of faith are necessary. And once I go through that, I'm going to start off hopefully a bit basic, and I, I kind of want to go through it slowly, About, and I'm just going to take one doctrine to demonstrate this, which is confessing Jesus as the Son of God. But I also want to emphasize the necessity of unqualified subscription, and that's adherence to, unqualified, not equivocal, but unqualified subscription to that confession of faith for those office bearers required to do so. I also want to state, too, before we get into this, if you're a new Christian, you don't have to, or you shouldn't have to, at the beginning... And you're not going to if you're new Christian. There's no way. You're not going to agree or know about everything in the Westminster Confession of Faith if you go to a church that subscribes to that, or Belgic, or whatever else you may be talking about. You're gonna grow in your understanding of these things. But you have to, in joining that church, be willing to listen and have a teachable spirit, whereas you're open to learning about the Word of God and to being taught and fed so that you grow in that direction. What I'm saying is don't look for absolute perfect jotting every eye, dotting every I and crossing every T before you join any church with a Westminster Confession of Faith or whatever. If you see it as a faithful church, join it, grow, be willing to listen, and be a Berean. Compare everything against the Word of God if you hear something in any church sermon maybe something that's caused you to have a question or something like that bring that question to your elders if your elders love the word of God they'll love the question in the first place as long as it's coming from a teachable submissive spirit listen don't just try to don't just try to go with gotcha questions or anything like that but try to go with questions that would age you in your growth as a Christian. So for the average person does not need, and I would encourage you, it would be great if you were in conformity with Westminster Confession of Faith, because I think it's a very good uh, subordinate standard. But in order to join a church with the Westminster Confession of Faith, you don't have to agree with it in every point. Actually, I can guarantee you, in Presbyterian churches, and I mean Presbyterian, I don't mean like mainline Presbyterian in most countries. I'm talking about those who are actually Presbyterian in doctrine, in worship, and in other matters. They will be, there'll be people in those congregations who will not line up with the confession of faith. That's normal. That's okay. And if if everybody was perfectly sanctified, the, the minister wouldn't have to really do anything, would he? (laughs) so I'm just saying for the average person listening to this don't put yourself under crazy pressure grow I'm you know go to the Westminster Confession of Faith I'm I'm I think that is the best confession of faith out there because I subscribe to it and if I didn't think that I wouldn't be saying that but allow yourself that time to grow and what is demanded of you as somebody sitting in the pew, for want of a better term, or, as, or somebody who is not an office bearer, you're not a deacon, you're not an elder, what is expected of you is different. What is expected of you is not that you line up with every single thing here and there. It's great if you do, praise God, if you do, then Lord willing, if you have the, the good spiritual fruit in your life, perhaps if you're male of a certain spiritual maturity, maybe the Lord will call you forward to be a ruling elder in your congregation. So this is something you should aspire toward, to agreeing with the confession of faith, but it doesn't mean in order to join one of these churches that would keep to the Westminster Confession of Faith or any creed that I'm going to mention here, that you have to line up with them and everything. What you do need to join a church is a, a creed of sorts, and it's a creed where you will say that you believe, and you state your, you profess your faith in Jesus Christ, and it is a, a pr- credible profession of faith. And what do we mean by credible? Credible means believable. And if you look at somewhere like First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine, ten, and eleven, there are certain sins that if somebody's addicted to and following that form of lifestyle, yet professing to be a Christian, there's a huge question mark over their profession of faith. For example, if someone's a drunkard and is addicted to alcohol and drinking most of the time, then they don't have a credible profession of faith in the same way that the homosexual does not have a credible profession of faith. Again, these are sins, lifestyles mentioned In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, from verses 9 to 11, and in verse 11 it says, such were some of you. So you've been changed, you've been washed, you've been sanctified. So yes, you you do need a creed if you're joining a church. It's going to be a minimal creed. It's not going to be as extensive as the Westminster Confession of Faith, but it's going to be a creed of sorts. You're going to, if you're going to have a credible profession of faith, accept that the Old and New Testament is the Word of God. If someone didn't accept that the Old and New Testament was the Word of God, then there'd be a big question mark over you, whether you should. You're allowed to join. You're not. You're allowed to attend as much as you like, but to be a member of that body is a different matter. You should also have. Have some kind of a testimony. You now you may not remember when exactly when you got converted. Perhaps you were raised in a Christian home. Perhaps you're born again. But whatever the case is, you recognize that you're a sinner who deserves hell and that you acknowledge you've turned from your sin and you're following Christ and you endeavor to live a life that is consistent with your profession of faith. Again, not perfection, but you are growing in a certain direction toward holiness. Again, you will sin. Again, you do sin. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. At the end of 1 John chapter 1, the last few verses at the end of 1 John chapter 1 makes it very clear. If you do not see that you're a sinner, you, are, you make God a liar. So you are a sinner, you will continue to sin, but there is a certain, call it a minimalistic creed, that every Christian has. No matter whether you are, no matter what you believe on top of that, you do not have to have a PhD in theology in order to join the Christian church. The church really should be for everybody. For the babe in Christ, all the way up, to the theological giraffe so that you want everyone to get something from the body to be built up and to grow and to be strengthened and those people who, are the, who have faith as a grain of mustard seed that's the smallest seed possible It's the smallest amount possible can join the church as long as they have a credible profession of faith now the, the elders in your church may seek they may seek for you to wait a while, and they want to get to know you a bit better. And that is wise, and be patient with that, and be willing to, and, and by the way, that's, that ordinarily shows, because you can submit unto godly leadership, part of your profession of faith. So again, none of this saves you. But what does it look like when someone is born again of the Spirit of God? They will follow God. And God has given the church under shepherds for the good of your own soul. And these are all things that you need to believe in order to follow. So even joining the church has a creed has a confession of faith. It may not be, it won't be as extensive as a Westminster Confession of Faith or the Belgian Confession or any other confession that you can mention. But there is a credible, there is a a profession of faith. There is a creed that we all have. And actually, everybody who attends a church, even if they how to put this? Even if you don't agree with me and you say well, we don't need creeds, you have a creed. You have something you subscribe to. Now, it may be your own opinion that you subscribe to. It may be that you will not submit to elders and you, you're going to do your own thing. But you have your own profession of faith. Everyone has a profession of faith. The problem is if everybody's doing their own thing and going in a different direction, what will it do for the unity of the body of Christ? Is it going to be healthy or is it going to be unhealthy? If the, if the body, if your own physical body, is going in different directions, say your leg is, one leg is going in one direction, the other leg is going in another direction, well, it's going to be pretty painful. And so it is with the body. And so what we want... Is as close a conformity as possible. And it's important that we have certain confessions of faith, especially for office bearers who are those under shepherds I was just talking about earlier. Now, a text we're going to look at, and look, there's lots of parts of the Bible we could look at, but first John chapter 4, verse 15. First John chapter 4 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 says this, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. That is a profession of of faith that is something you agree with that Jesus is the son of God now a lot of people will say that they believe that and that's often why confessions are a little bit longer than this in reality by the way, the Bible has more definitions attached on this, it. not necessarily one after another in the same letter in Holy Scripture, but it will be there in other parts to elaborate on and to give further depth on. It's almost like saying, whosoever agrees or says the same thing, homo legale, so like almost... The word almost means to a sense to to say the same thing I mean confess or to profess that Jesus is the Son of God and that's a that's just not any you know mild phrase to say that is that's a huge thing to say God, the one true and living God, is in him, and he and in him remains, and he is. And he in God. So, the Son of God. The Son of God. The only begotten Son of God. That is a doctrine. That is a scriptural truth. That is, if somebody does not believe that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father... The Son of God. And that's what it means, that he is the one who is eternally generated or begotten of the Father. Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. Nicene Creed here. That's another creed that you could reference, which has scriptural truths which express because Jesus is the Son of God, eternally begotten, and that begottenness is not like a creature begottenness, this is an eternal relationship where there is true light from true light, true God from true God, i.e. the Son of God is as much God as the Father is God. He is without beginning, and He is without end. He is the creator of the universe. He is that infinite one he is that one where heaven and earth cannot contain the greatness and the infiniteness of his glory he is the one who is wisdom he is the one who is love he is the one who is truth and to believe that jesus this one born of a virgin the virgin mary born of the seed of david that Jesus, that he, this man, is also the Son of God. Not just a Son of God, but the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The one they've been waiting for. The one who will crush the head of the serpent. The one who will show forth the radiance and is of the, the same glorious radiance as the Father has. The one who is glorious. The one who is wonderful. The one who is one worthy of all our worship and all our truth. The one who is the one who is spoken about in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word as Jesus. And the Word is with God. So there's so much in this phrase that a person has to confess or agree with in this creed mentioned. That if we have this creed that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in that person. And that person is in God. And and dear friends, if you're listening to this and you believe the Jesus is the Son of God. God is in you. He remains in you. He dwells in you. Actually, that, that's what the, the Greek word means. It has this idea of dwelling, remaining, continuing, abiding. And also, you and God. You, ha- you share life. You have that union with Christ. Now, now you might have the question: What does it mean? What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because there are many people that will say that Jesus is the Son of God, and and will they don't really believe it, and that's why confessions are a little bit longer to show if we really believe such a thing. You can have a very shortened form of a creed, like we've just seen here, but I I just want to get across this. What we believe intellectually matters. The doctrine that we hold to as individuals, as a church, it matters. Now, intellectual faith by itself will not save anyone. It has to be believed in the heart. It has to be loved. The the devils will believe that... Jesus is God and things like that, but they don't love him. They don't have that saving faith. But we must realize at the same time that our knowledge of God, what we believe about God, matters. Doctrine matters. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says, And that, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for instruction for is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In second John this is all to say what we believe matters. It actually matters. And we please, we must not get into a place where we think that, oh, well, as long as we're Christians, it doesn't matter beyond that. As long as we just say that Jesus is the Son of God, that's enough. Of course, that matters. But what we believe about what the Son of God means, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about him being the Messiah, that's a creed and i'm starting with a very very basic premise of a creed can be very short and can be very long and a creed can express truth and while human documents can make errors of course they can they can also express human creeds can express Truths which do not have error in them. They can make errors, and councils do and can err, but in subscribing to them, we're saying we believe that what is said in that confession of faith is true. So when we see that confession of faith that Jesus is the Son of God, we're saying that is a true faith. And if you don't believe that, can you be? Can you be a member of a church? Should you be a member of a church? If somebody denies that Jesus is the Son of God, do they have a credible profession of faith? Not at all. Not at all. So what we believe and what we profess matters. In Second John, chapter one, verse nine, whosoever transgresseth, transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. The doctrine, the teaching, the instruction of Christ. And so we may think that we are, maybe you think that you're, you're disagreeing with someone who's teaching you something. But if it comes from the word of God and you're hearing it from the pulpit, and that is truth from the Scriptures. That is the doctrine of Christ. Now, we need to be careful here. It doesn't mean we're all going to have perfect doctrine or anything like that. But we must wish to abide and to remain in the doctrine of Christ. That we're not going out into the world. And I guess, just to get back to our main central point here, what we believe matters. And because of what we believe matters, openly, as a church, because that's what the church is, the visible expression of the church, are people who together profess faith and trust in these central truths as a body together. They are in agreement on these things in which they are stating to be in agreement about. yes, Every church in the world, even the most heretical at times, will say they believe the Bible. Even the cults will say that at times. However, a church with actual unity will take a creed, whatever the creed is, and say they will agree on that. And there are better or worse creeds. Some of them have a lot of details. Some of them don't have a lot of details. Some of them are like the Apostles' Creed. And very good creeds, but don't go into as much detail as some other creeds do. If, for example, if you look at the Apostles' Creed, you find this at the end of the... This is stated at the end of... The um, the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland's uh, publication of the Shorter Catechism that's in their, their printing of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says this in the Creed, Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. You see, and I want, as we're listening to this, I want us to think about how this is a little bit expanded upon what was said there in First John chapter 4, verse 15. Confesseth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Returning to the Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, which was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell the third day. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of of God, the Father Almighty. From hence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. So that's a bit more detailed in that. That's given a bit more detail to Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. He says he's our Lord, which was conceived of the the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered. He suffered in his human nature, not in his divine nature. Was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. Now this creates a bit of uh, debate, but I think the best way to understand it is continued in the state of the the dead. Hell can mean um, Hades and things like that. Depending on the context, yes, it can mean place of eternal torment. Yes, it can include that as well. But here, really, he was buried three days later under the power of death till the third day. In his human nature, he's dead for three days. In his divine nature, he can never die as the second person of the, th- the trinity, but he's really dealing with that. Because that was really questioned, whether in the early church, very, very early church, whether he was a true man. So this is really dealing with a lot of that early on. The third, he rose again from the dead. So no longer does death have power over him. I think that's probably the way they understood it in the early church. He ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God, the-, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church. And that's Catholic small c, not the Roman Catholic Church that came later, much, much later. And the Roman Catholic Church is an apostate church that has departed following under the leadership and the, the Antichrist influence of the Pope of Rome. That's different to the Holy Small C Catholic Church, of which all true believers are a part of. That's that's what it's referring to. <laughs> Look, if you if you're going, if that sounds weird to your ears the first time, if you get saved and perhaps you're a former Roman Catholic, I, I've been there. But this is not talking about Roman Catholic. This is sp- speaking about Catholic, as in universal. This the word Catholic is not a bad term. I digress. I believe in the Holy Ghost, it says, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and, and and the life everlasting. Amen. Quite a simple creed. The resurrection of the body, it says, it believes here. That was something that was challenged, by the way. You see examples of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. To believe that you believed in the resurrection of the body was very different from a lot of Gnostics of the 1st and 2nd century so these are often, think of creeds like this how do we determine who has and who does not have a credible profession of faith there may be and I'm not saying we should necessarily have to do this you may even have a creed stating that I don't know I suppose there's probably wording to this effect anyway in a, in a lot of historic creeds, but somebody who's walking in a homosexual lifestyle or in a drunken lifestyle or in a fornicating lifestyle or whatever else shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I say that because we're probably living in such an antinomian culture that balks at any sense of following God and living a life consistent with its profession of faith. It actually balks at that so hopefully, hopefully, you got across there what we believe, what we profess, what we confess, about Jesus, matters and ought to distinguish in the visible expression of the church. Now, I say the visible because we don't know what goes on in people's hearts, and we need to be careful about that, but we we believe based upon a profession of faith, and we be charitable and we try not to think evil of people, etc now, as we talking about creeds there's two extremes I'd like to um speak about here there there's a a nervousness about creeds for two reasons: one reason is this what's called dead orthodoxy dead orthodoxy and' I'm, I think I basically lifted this title from Martin Light Jones. He had a sermon, at least it's on the MLJ, Trust. These are uploads that are on Sermon Audio. If you haven't listened to Martin Light Jones' sermons on Revival, please go there, avail yourself, be blessed. That's on Sermon Audio. But one of the ones was about dead orthodoxy, so I particularly like that ter- that term. One extreme, when it comes to creeds or orthodoxy or orthodox, just means the true or right opinion. Is it? Do what do you think? Is it a good thing to have the right opinion? Yes, it's kind of necessary, but it can't just be that. It can't just be a fall into a dead and lifeless tradition. Yeah, you can have the right opinion in ticking the boxes and be in the right category but perhaps you have no love for the truth being expressed within that opinion or tradition or whatever you might be in the you might be in the purest church on earth in terms of confession of faith or whatever but good views can become detached from life and if we're not consi- live, endeavoring to live a life consistent with our faith, and it can mean, it can, it doesn't always mean, that the person who lives a life of hypocrisy, kind of hypocrisy, the idea of you're wearing a mask, you're, you're, it's an act, that you're not converted. I'm not saying that you don't make mistakes and you're honest, but this is more your, your, your life is a performance. So good views alone detached from life is danger. <laughs> so that's one extreme that we should avoid when we think about the necessity of creeds. It can't just be, haha, I agree with that good historic confession of faith. I've studied it. Boom, I'm done. And I just live like the world. I live like the devil. That's not. By the way, that's not even creedal, by the way. That's not even in any way consistent with the creeds but somebody could fall into this error. People, quote-unquote, trust Christ in an external way, simply to be safe from hell and nothing more. And so it just becomes almost like, you know, people getting vaccines or whatever, and just in case. But they don't really believe. They think by coming to church, they almost act as if God owes them something. Now, if you asked him on that, he'd probably say, no, no, I don't believe that. But do you go to church out of an expression of the joy in your heart to give praise to God? Or do you go there because you think, if I don't go there enough, I'm going to be in danger of hell or something like that? Do you see where I'm coming? Right views and public confessions, but with no real impact on life that's dangerous, that's knowledge that puffeth up, that is something that actually will lead you to a hardened heart, so when we hear the truth, it must, it should lead to a change in life, because if it is not, it is an abomination before the Lord, it really is, it's a very, very serious thing. uh, sorry not Romans Isaiah chapter 1 is a good example of this so we do have to warn warn about the orthodoxy first in Isaiah chapter 1 which deals with a very religious Judah and Jerusalem and it's you know in verse 1 it tells us during the days of Uzziah Jotham Ahaz Hezekiah and it says Verse 10 of chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and of fat and fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks and of lambs and of he goats. Now, we'll just stop there for a second. In what is commanded by the Lord, he says he has no delight in these things. Why? Why does he have no delight in these things? Perhaps, a little bit later, will give us the answer. It says in verses 16 to verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 1, Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. So, repenting of their life, their life was, they were, you know, this oppression of the weakest among us, the weakest of society, that is the fatherless and the widow, mentioned in verse 17. And there was a call to turn away from that external religious hypocrisy, which really had no impact on their life. The Pharisees got certain doctrines right. Not everything the Pharisees believed was wrong, by the way. Even though not everything they taught was wrong, but they they became self-righteous. And some of the the, the strongest words of condemnation in the Bible are against those who are self-righteous. Simply hearing The truth, week in, week out, if it has no impact on your life, is a dangerous place to be. A very dangerous place to be. Doctrine does matter, but purely external keeping of it, not even keeping of it, just professing of it, brings the condemnation of the Lord. Come now, verse 18, Isaiah 1. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now, is that saying, you know, if you're going to be good and you reach a certain standard in your own works, you can enter the good of the land, which is really a picture of heaven? Is that what it's teaching? No. What if you have true faith in the coming Messiah as he was? He was pointing towards Messiah there. If you have true faith in him, you will be willing. You will be obedient. You will follow him. If you love God, you will keep his commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Verse 20 of Isaiah 1. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword from the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. That is a that is a response of unbelief, to refuse and to rebel. So yes, what we believe matters, but we must not, or what we profess matters. What, the creed matters, what we express and, and sign up to and all these things, they matter. But we must not fall into the trap of the Pharisees. The Pharisees who love the approval of men more than the approval of God. There are places in the world where people hold externally the right or true opinion because that is what is expected of them by others around them. And they love the approval of men more than the approval of God. It has never cost them anything in their lives. And many of them may well be without true faith in Jesus Christ. It's their life is a, is a, is an act. It's an act. So doctrine does matter, and it does have consequences. Good doctrine brings blessings when believed, followed, and applied to one's life. The false teaching is harmful to our souls. We have to think about this. What we believe matters, and false teaching. False teaching brings harm. I liken the Creeds are often valued, aren't they, when things go wrong? Really good book I read recently, um, Matthew Barrett's book, Simply Trinity and Matthew Barron and a couple of other people, are trying to get people back to historic creeds. J.V. Fesco is another person. Um, Carl Truman, just other people, trying to get people back to the historical fashions. But I've... Do you ever notice how things, creeds, are just only noticed when things... are valued when things go wrong? It's a lot like medicine. Medicine can, can sit in your cabinet. Almost, you wonder, why do I need... This many, I don't know, tablets, paracetamol tablets or whatever. But then you get really sick, you see why you have it. So medicine is often only valued when things go wrong. So is the creed, often valued when things go wrong. But it shouldn't be that way. It really shouldn't be that way. That, you know, for us to value the Trinity in the Nicene Creed, for example, we have to see the errors of the eternal subordination of the sun doctrines. That is an error. Um, you can read Scott Swain's very good book, The Trinity and in Introduction, published by Crossway, I think it is, um, if you're curious on that. But it shouldn't have to be. What we should do is use these positively before things get bad, before we don't have to wait for some really, really bad teaching to come in to cause harm. But for good of our own souls, again, we're not saying that every creed that was written by the church is perfect and every jot and tittle, and the same with the scriptures is, But it'll help us because we'll learn from the church of the past as much as we can learn. Well, the Lord has given you a specific minister to bless you and all that kind of stuff. But you can also learn from the men of the past. So on one extreme, when it comes to creeds, it can be dead orthodoxy, okay? Dead orthodoxy, a dead or lifeless tradition. Good external views, but detached from life and it becomes utter hypocrisy. The other extreme, and again this is just my own way of putting this, is liberalism. Liberalism. Now, we'll put the word liberal to describe anything left of a conservative, no matter where they are, but I mean liberalism as defined as so, which is largely based a lot upon the book Christianity and Liberalism, written by J. Gresham Machen, nearly 100 years ago now, that liberalism is, believes in often feelings over doctrine, often driven by a desire, of, often it can be driven, as it was in Gresham Machen's day, greater numbers at church, They knew if they had creedal Calvinism, for example, that the numbers would drop. The content of belief is largely viewed as an afterthought. First generations of liberalism will often tolerate theological conservatives, and theological conservatives are basically people who hold to the creed, who hold to historic Christian doctrine. But Largely what it is based upon is the feeling, this goes back to probably the father of liberalism, Friedrich Schleiermacher, the German liberal theologian, who, whose view is largely, it, it does not matter what's really in your mind. What matters is your feeling of dependency Christ. So it doesn't matter what you believe about Christ as long as you have that feeling of dependency and trust upon Christ. It's feelings. Feelings not concrete doctrinal beliefs that matter. Now feelings do matter but shaped and guided by right or true opinion about Christ. The content of belief in liberalism is viewed as an afterthought or even, at worst, unnecessary. With The gospel, often in these situations, taking a backseat over time to more popular activities of a social nature. So you can see a church, first of all, going from somewhere that proclaims the gospel to a social club. Little by little. And... And that's largely driven by feelings, not by biblical exposition or the the true mission of the church. What you'll often see as well in a move towards liberalism within a church, preaching becomes, or what is called preaching, difficult to call it preaching at times, but preaching becomes an encouraging pep talk. Void of any heavenly authority because people believe they are essentially quote-unquote good. So, what it'll look like is this. Well, tell a few stories and tag on John 3.16 at the end to say that you've preached the gospel. Little to no work put into it. People are happy with that. Because why? It's not about what you believe, it's about the feeling gotta leave with that good feeling if you if you you can't have people convicted in your church, no, no, even though that's what the the Holy Spirit comes into the world to do. The Holy Spirit is there to convict and bring people away from sin towards righteousness, and sometimes that's going to make people feel uncomfortable, so that's not going to be when you're when you're led by your feelings or your emotion you're not it's not going to feel good and if you're self righteous well in a self righteous church there's going to be a problem the feeling is not going to be good and they don't want preaching now neither of these churches will often one preaching. It depends. It'll all look different. Sometimes in churches there can be a mixture of dead orthodoxy and liberalism. Sometimes in churches there's more liberalism. Sometimes there's more dead orthodoxy. Sometimes you'll get a bit of it both in any church. You get either or, maybe visiting or coming in, and etc. and so on. So these can be things that are problems in any church on planet earth no matter how good they are but if we go in the direction of liberalism where what we believe does not matter it's only the feeling go away with an encouraging feeling and if that's all that matters well preaching will die gospel the gospel will take back seat conviction will not be seen as important to growth To point out that we're at times wrong. The content of preaching or belief will be seen as unnecessarily making people feel bad. And so preaching becomes a pep talk. Of course it will be. Devoid of any heavenly authority. Because at that point, people are interested in their feelings. They're not interested in listening to God. Because, this is the way it can kind of go... We're good. Just you just have to steer us, give us encouragement, so we can keep going. There's a presumption, or there can be a presumption, that just because everybody's there, that they're converted, that they necessarily know the Lord. Now, we if somebody's a member and somebody makes a credible fresh in the faith, we give them the benefit of the doubt, of course. But in any gathering of the Church of Jesus Christ, the visible expression of that, nearly always, nearly always, ordinarily be a mixed, be mixed. And you do have to have the presumption, or it wouldn't be healthy to just presume everybody's lost in front of you. That's not good either, and I don't want to, inc- I don't want to in- encourage that kind of extreme either. You're preaching to the church, God's people. But you're also going to say that there can be tears among the wheat. You're also going to say that there are some people who may have, be in unbelief and in danger of hell. And you have discerning preaching to establish that. But to, Another thing is as well, dead orthodoxy can just be hypocrisy on an outward expression. Liberalism really is, is, in, is another religion entirely. Dre Gresham Machin, in his classic work, Christianity and Liberalism, a work that I think is, I read, a, I read a, a lot of it years ago, and it didn't really click with me in the same way it did recently. So I would encourage you, it's one of those books you could reread every couple of years and get something new out of. But Gresham Machin said this The Christian religion is certainly not the religion of the modern liberal church. But a message of divine grace, almost forgotten now, as it was in the Middle Ages, but destined to burst forth once more in God's good time, in a new reformation to bring light and freedom to mankind. Just to go over that first line again. The Christian religion is certainly not the religion of the modern liberal church. Or, put it another way, liberalism is another religion. It is more... Distant from biblical Christianity than Roman Catholicism even is. Roman Catholicism does not have the gospel. It is false worship. It is apostate. But liberalism doesn't even have much of a facade of anything Christian. Again, remind yourselves of that. in In dead orthodoxy, it is hypocrisy confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. Return to First John chapter four, verse fifteen. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So, from the dead orthodoxy, it's an act. From the point of view of the liberal who doesn't an anti- creedal or people who are against creeds can go and it does go in the direction of liberalism. Again I'd point you towards J. Gressa Machen's uh, Christianity and liberalism. Perhaps we might go through that at some point. But a lot of groups will say that Jesus is the son of God don't they? How many groups out there say that Jesus is the Son of God? Lots of groups think they're Christians. Roman Catholics think they're Christians. How do we distinguish that in a public way? uh, Confessions of faith. Roman Catholics don't believe in faith alone. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe he's kind of a, he's lesser than God, and they can maybe say this in a very loose sense. Mormons can even say, this is even on their website, I mean, looking up, Mormons are not Christians at all, it's a cult. They believe if you're a good Mormon, you'll eventually become a god yourself. Seventh-day Adventists believe they're Christians, but there's a large degree of legalism in there, not to mention LNG White's false prophecies, but that's another issue. But Seventy Adventists claim that they're Christians as well. And I think some people believe that they're Christians. They're you know, if you believe 70 Adventist doctrine, central doctrine, it's another gospel. I don't doubt that there may be some believers, maybe within Seventh Adventists, actually believe the biblical gospel and don't really pay any attention to what the central Adventists hold to, or LNG White, or anything else like that. But at the same time, they need to come out of there. Quakers. Uh, Mormons, liberals, etc. So, what we profess to believe matters. What we profess to believe matters. Because it will distinguish in a visible way, at least from a confessing way, that who is a Christian and who is not. Again, we don't know people's hearts, but if they do believe these things from the heart... They are born again. Now, some people can pretend and all that kind of thing, but, but creeds are important. Creeds are important. There's a great need for creeds and confessions as almost everybody says they believe the Bible. You can get Jehovah's Witnesses say they believe the Bible, but they will reject that Jesus is equal with the Father. Gnostics rejected that Jesus came in the flesh, but they would say that they believed in Jesus First John Chapter Four, verses Two and three. I think we're just gonna leave this program here um I have m- there's gonna be more next week upon creeds and confessions and subscription to the confessions, and why this is so important because one of the reasons the church is internationally I'm not talking about any specific church, but I'm talking about international churches, whether it's churches in Northern Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales, United States, Canada, Australia, wherever, New Zealand, because we've lost the sense of the need of the, cre- the need of creeds and confessions, why they're important, and also lost the sense of we will we'll look at this more next week, next next Tuesday, of an un qualified or simpliciter is the latin phrase it's an unequivocal subscription to the confession of faith and every single part of that confession of faith on top of it but that's going to be more next week lord willing we'll also go back to the we're going to be going back to the larger catechism probably in 2 weeks time not sure but we will return to it don't worry I might be a few weeks away from it, but Lord willing, we'll, we'll get back to it. The last point we're going to look at here, as we wrap up, First John chapter four, verses two and three. Now remember, this is during the time of Gnosticism upon the earth. Hereby, know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Look at what's being said here. So the first verse is basically saying, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. That's verse 1 of chapter 4 of the first epistle of John. Don't be naive. Don't just believe every spirit. Try the spirits. Test them. And one of the tests that is done is, this is you know, largely doing with the local problem that's taking place at the time, Gnosticism, which does not believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Verse 2, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. So, that's right doctrine concerning Jesus came in the flesh. If you don't believe that, well, you're definitely a false Teacher and that, that's that's a spirit of anti Christ. Now, this verse is not saying as well that just because you get this right that you believe that Jesus is come in the flesh, boom, you're done, and that's it. But this is speaking to a very, very specific situation. But it is saying that doctrine matters. Doctrine matters, right doctrine matters. Hopefully that's been clear enough to you. Uh, Megiddo Radio, M-E-G-I-D-D-O, radio at gmail.com. If you have any questions or if anything wasn't fantastically well explained, which is also possible, uh, we are going to be continuing to look at this next week. Uh, Things relating to this, keeping to the confession, use of confessions, because I think this is something that we need to recover Especially in the reform world, but just generally in Christianity, for the blessing of the wider church and for the blessing of our soul. This is Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.